So our practice of the Dharma, which includes our meditation, uh, is a practice of laying down our burdens. I want to talk today about laying down our burdens. Uh, we've all got burdens that we're carrying. Uh, it's probably fair to say that we're all weighed down by our burdens. Uh, so one of the first experiences that we have as uh, followers of this path is uh, recognizing just that, uh, realizing just this, uh, that we are uh, carrying heavy burdens, we're weighed down by our burdens. Um, so we may know that mentally, uh, intellectually, uh, but it begins to be something that we can actually feel. We know it in the body. We know it in the body. You know, almost just like we're carrying around a big backpack filled with bricks or heavy rocks. Uh, we can feel it in the body in the way the body is contracted and tight and tense and out of tune out of rhythm. Our practice begins with seeing this, uh, knowing this, that we're carrying these burdens and developing, let's say developing the wish to be free of our burdens. You know, developing the wish, it's really that movement, uh, that wish to be free of our burdens that uh, brings us to practice, that's compassion, compassion. So uh, our practice begins with this, but it's a process, right? It's a process and it's a process of, on an ongoing basis, seeing uh, that we're uh, weighed down by our burdens and continuing to develop, it's a process of developing our wish to be free, uh, continuing to develop this compassion. So we have to you know, begin by asking certain questions and uh, continue to ask questions. Dhamma student asks questions. The Buddha said, this is the mark of wisdom, is that we ask questions. One of the ways that we can reflect uh, is by asking, you know, are there burdens that are weighing us down? Are there burdens that are weighing us down? What are these burdens? What are we holding on to? What would it be like to lay down our burdens? Now, our burdens, and this is very important to understand, of course, uh, our burdens are found in our clinging, in our clinging. Uh, so they're found in what we're clinging to, uh, but also in the clinging itself. Uh, so it's the way that we're clinging, you know, or the wanting and not wanting. Uh, 
you know, that's really important to understand. Uh, so it's what we're clinging to, but it's the clinging itself, which is really the essence of our burdens. Our burdens is found in, it's really found in what we're doing, you know, because the tendency is to blame the things that we're clinging to, uh, but really the issue is the fact that we're clinging to them, right? We're clinging to them. One of the very, very important teachings of the Buddha uh, that he expresses again and again in you know, explaining his teaching on the Four Noble Truths, which is the teaching on uh, the burdens that we carry, the burdens that the term that's sometimes used in the teachings is really speaks to the first noble truth, dukkha. Dukkha is you know, caused by our clinging. One of the teachings that the Buddha uh, often uh, spoke to in terms of understanding our clinging and identifying our burdens one of the teachings that I think is really uh, very hard to understand, at least it is for me, is the teaching on the specific ways that we cling, the burdens that we carry. Uh, and he identified four based on his own experience and based on what he saw in the world and based on what he understood had to be let go of you know, had to be let go of. It's really an important teaching because you know, we could spend a lot of time trying to let go, but it might not be the things that we're asked to let go of. You know, so that's really important. So he identified four ways, uh, four burdens, ways that we cling. Uh, sense pleasures, views and opinions, habits and practices, which I like to referred to as Ajahnamarota, social conventions, and self-image, self-identity view. So each one of these, of course, is a, is a year-long course, uh, so I'm not going to get into them in detail today, uh, but uh, just to remind us of these four ways of clinging. So first there's the different pleasures of the world that we may uh, be engaged in wanting, wanting. And again, you know, the issue isn't so much the pleasures themselves, right? It's not so much what we're clinging to, it's the wanting of the pleasures. So there may be certain pleasures that we're, uh, that we're caught up in wanting. You know, maybe it's that, you know, that new car, you know, it's like you've always wanted that BMW, right? You know, or it's, or it's the place in the country, or if you live in the country, a place in the city, you know? You know there's nothing wrong with the BMW. Uh, there's nothing wrong with the place in the country or the place in the city, but it's the wanting. It's the wanting of these things. So, you know, are there certain sense pleasures that we are, are there certain, you know, and I, again, you know, we use this term pleasure, uh, uh, you know, well, there's, you know, you know, I like ice cream. You know, that might not be that important uh, in terms of uh, whether or not you're going to awaken. You know, 
so again, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of, you know, there's always going to be some desire for the ice cream when you're eating it. Uh, you know, but are there certain pleasures of the world? You know, I mean, this is what the Buddha saw in, in himself, right? You know, it's sort of like as, as a prince, you know, he was caught up in, in, certain, in certain pleasures of the world. His life was dedicated to wanting those certain pleasures. So are there certain pleasures that, we're, uh, that we are uh, preoccupied with, preoccupied with? So that's a good question for us to ask. The second uh, is, of course, our views. Are there views that we're preoccupied with? Uh, you know, maybe they're political views uh, that we're preoccupied with. You know, and, and the thing with, with views is uh, what it really comes down to is the way that we uh, are, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be political views. Uh, it could be, you know, our views about how to do certain things. And, you know, what it always comes down to is I'm right, you're wrong, right? So are there ways that we're attached to I'm right, you're wrong? I could be attached to I'm right in the way that I teach the Dhamma, that other teacher is wrong. Not that I would ever go there, but uh, but but it's you know it's very easy for us to do that, right? Or that's that's a, that's a tendency. You know, Buddha's not really that concerned with who's right and who's wrong. He's concerned with are you causing suffering? You know, that's that's the issue. That's the issue. So, are there ways that we're preoccupied with views, certain views? And then there's habits and practices, which again, I like to think of as social conventions. Uh, I mean, there's this large social conventions that we may, and many of us are, attached to, like money, uh, like social conventions, like uh, you know, marriage or things like that, that we may be uh, attached to, uh, or it might be you know, belonging to a group, you know? Maybe it's, you know, you're preoccupied with your, uh, with your role in uh, being part of the bowling team. Yeah. You know, I talked a little bit about this on our, our retreat, you know, if you, you know, making certain allusions to Ralph Crampton, you know, if it was the bowling team or, or his, uh, his participation in the Raccoon Lodge, yeah. yeah. Are we are we tied to uh, these preoccupations? And then uh, you know, and then of course there's overlap, right? So the fourth area is self identity, uh, self image. So we're tied to uh, uh, we're holding on to an image of ourselves as a smart person, or it could be a negative thing. I'm a failure. You know, some negative self-view, or just the view that we might have of ourselves as a Dharma student. So, one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about this, obviously it's something very important to talk about, but uh, what, what I should say is, one, what I really want to kind of emphasize in this talk is, uh, one of the things I want to emphasize here is, 
it's important to take a look at the big picture, right? You know, the Buddha identified four areas, you know, you know, he didn't identify them so I could say, well, what am I doing right now? Am I attached to a self-identity view in this moment? It's sort of like, take a step back and start to, you know, look at the big picture. You know, are you preoccupied in, or how are you preoccupied in any of these four areas? Uh, reflect, reflect. Uh, you know, uh, these are important things in our lives to consider and reflect on. The ways in which we're holding on to wanting certain, you know, material things, pleasures, pleasures of the world, world the ways that we uh, hold on to certain views and opinions, the ways that we're holding on to our uh, conformities to certain social conventions and the ways that we're holding on to uh, self-identity. So uh, our tendency is to focus on discrete experiences of dukkha, which is fine, fine. So our tendency might be to focus in being a good Dharma student and trying to follow everything that we've been talking about in this group for the last three years. You know, if your experience, you know, was anything like mine, you know, this morning, you know, anxiety about getting computer started, getting Zoom up and running, you know? Oh, I'm feeling anxiety. Well, what am I supposed to do? All right, well, there's anxiety. I feel that in the chest. It's a buzzing. Bring awareness to it breath, compassion, great, uh, you know. So, you know, our tendency is to focus on these discrete experiences of clinging, but, uh, but we, what we need to do, uh, uh, I mean, and we want to do that, but not at the expense of, you know, looking at the bigger picture, which may be, in a case like that, is our sense of uh, uh, self-identity as being a good Dharma student, you know? I want to be a good Dharma student and not show up late for the class. Maybe that's, that's the issue at hand, right? The Buddha talked about the issue at hand. Is the issue at hand the anxiety? Or is the issue at hand that you're so preoccupied with wanting to be a good Dharma student that you have anxiety about that? You see that? You see that shift? That's, that's really important. That's really important. You know? So, you know, it could be, you know, that emotion of worrying about, you know, the next election, you know, at the Raccoon Lodge, you know, and oh, there's worry, you know? But maybe the bigger issue is, you know, your participation as a member of the Raccoon Lodge, you know, and, and how and how important that is in your life. And it's like, you know, it's so important. Or, uh, uh, maybe there's agitation with a coworker you know, and you bring mindfulness. Okay, well, Dubinin said, the Buddha said, bring mindfulness to that agitation with my coworker. Uh, but, you know, maybe, 
you know, the bigger picture, picture issue is your job, you know, and that you're working, you know, in this, you know, in this company that is, you know, just all concerned about, you know, making money and whatever, you know, without getting into specifics. I don't want to disparage anybody's occupation. It's like I always would use the analogy of, uh, you know, if you're a bank robber, you know, and you're anxious about the next job you're going to pull off, you know, you know, it's like, well, the Dharma student, the Dharma teacher says I should be mindful about my anxiety about, you know, should we use, you know, what should I use to crack this safe? But that, you know, maybe the real issue at hand is that you're a bank robber, you know? That's, that's really the problem. And that's what the Buddha is telling us. That's what the Buddha is telling us. You know, this really kind of speaks to one of my little pet peeves. Not so much of a little pet peeve, you know, is the way that, you know, uh, mindfulness has been uh, brought into all these environments. You know, we're going to teach mindfulness to all these, in all these different businesses and offices and you know, mindfulness has been taught to soldiers and all these different kinds of stuff. You know, it's like, you know, I mean, that's great for mindfulness teachers who need to make a buck, you know, but it's not really what the Buddha teaches, you know. It's like, uh, you know, maybe the issue isn't real. And, I, you know, again, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it, you know. If you're going in as a Dharma teacher to, you know, teach, you know, in an investment bank, uh, you know, how to work with your emotions and how to relate to your fellow investment bankers. Again, we have, men have investment bankers here, you know. I mean, that's a great thing, but, you know, maybe the real issue is, you know, what you're doing, <laughs> you know. And, you know, the, the, the Dharma is only going to work on certain things, you know. So it's like, it's like, I can't really help you that much if, you know, this is what you're doing. Uh, but, so that's why, you know, these kinds of things are really important to talk about. Another way to think about this is that, you know, Dharma practice isn't a psychology. You know, there's elements of psychology in the Dhamma. You know, uh, you know and, it, you know, there's some crossover with psychology. But, but ultimately, it's not a psychological practice. It's not a psychological practice. You know, it's more, you could say, a practice about intention and the choices that you make in your life. You know, the choices that you make in your life. Uh, you know, uh, you know, the actions we take and how we live, it's about a certain way of living. We just had a beautiful retreat. Uh, maybe there's a few people here who are on our retreat, and some of you have done our retreats in the past. We just had a beautiful eight-day retreat, silent retreat. Uh, you know, and on a retreat, uh, we're modeling a certain way of living, right? We're modeling a certain way of living. Uh, so, uh, on a retreat, you know, what we're doing first, and I would argue foremost, is making a choice. 
you know, we're making a choice that, you know, this was an eight-day retreat. For these eight days, I'm going to live a certain way. I'm going to live a certain way. I've always kind of noticed this about, you know, I've taught a lot of retreats and I've sat a lot of retreats. And, you know, and it's kind of something that, you know, I might have said a number of times in a somewhat glib manner, which um, I have sometimes the want to do. Uh, but it's certainly something that I've experienced and seen for myself in terms of my own practice, in terms of the yogis. And I, and I realize it's true, you know, and what's true is, uh, you know, really the most important thing about the retreat, the most important thing about the retreat is making the choice to go on the retreat. Is making the choice to go on the retreat. That's the most important thing about the retreat. That's the most important thing about the retreat. The retreat is making the choice to go on the retreat and taking the action. And I've come to see that that's so true. It's not really what happens on the retreat. It's that you made the choice. You made the choice. You know, and on some level, of course, it's making a choice to lay down our burdens. You know, I'm going to put aside you know, the different pleasures of the world that I'm preoccupied. I'm going to put aside, you know, the important meeting at the Raccoon Lodge that I was supposed to have this week, you know, you know, with a bowling tournament. You know, we're making a decision to lay down our burdens. And if you want to lay down your burdens, you have to make a decision to lay down your burdens. So we're making a decision to lay down our burdens, you know, in this case for eight days, you know, of course, and, and, and what happens, you know, after a few days, you know, we start to experience a certain freedom, a certain freedom. And we begin to see, one of the things that we begin to see on, on a retreat is uh, we can lay down our burdens. We can lay down our burdens. And one of the things we begin to see is these burdens are not who we are. You know, our burdens, and again, we're talking about the ways that we hold on and the ways that we cling, our preoccupations. You know, again, if we use that analogy of, you know, the backpack filled with bricks, uh, you know, it's kind of like you go on a retreat and, you know, you take the backpack off your back and you put it down for eight days. And it's like, oh, I can do this. And you know what? This is a backpack filled with bricks. It's not who I am. It's not who I am. And this is what the Buddha is telling us, is that, you know, these preoccupations that you have with the pleasures of the world, you know, and your views and opinions, your views and opinions are not who you are. You know, that's, that's, that's not who your heart is. You know, those are, those are acquired tastes, if you will. You know, they're not who you are. If you had been brought up in a different house, in a different state and a different, you'd have different views and opinions. They're not who you are. You know, your, 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 the social conventions that you're so tied to are not who you are. You're not your smartphone. You know? And your self-image is not who you are. Those are just ideas and perceptions that you have about yourself, but they're not who you are. You know, and on a retreat, 
tree, you know, you kind of put down those burdens for a few days. You put down those burdens for a few days. And you realize what it's like to lay them down. There's a freedom. There's a freedom. So on retreat, we see that we can lay down our burdens, but what about after the retreat? You know, the retreat is exceptional, or it's an exception. You know, now we're in the world, you know, we have to ask, we have to continue to ask, you know. You know, the retreat is, you know, and I'm, I know not everybody was on the retreat, but everybody here has done retreats, and I'm using it as just a metaphor for practice. Uh, you know, uh, you know, it's the same as your daily sitting. You know, what about after the retreat? We still have to ask, you know, what are my burdens? What, what are the burdens that now that the retreat is over, I'm picking up again? You know, what's in the knapsack filled with bricks? What are these bricks made of? What's the potential for laying down my burden? I did it on the retreat. Could maybe I do it in my life? What would it be like to be free of my burdens? And again, it's the same thing in a daily sitting. And you know, a daily sitting, we may not experience that same sense of putting down our burdens uh, or that same sense of freedom, but there's, but there's some sense of it. Uh, you know, the daily sit is an opportunity to step back, to put down our burdens for a half hour, 45 minutes, however long we sit, and we may know a sense of ease. The body starts to come into a state of ease, right? You know, it's just by putting down that thinking putting down that thinking, because the thinking is the manifestation, you know, is a manifestation of the way that we're holding on. The degree to which we put down that thinking for that half hour or 45 minutes, you know, we start to come into a state of ease. You know, we're cultivating that state of ease. We start to come into uh, an in-tunedness, an as I've been talking about. There's a lightness, there's a freedom, just by putting down the thinking for, you know, that's putting down your burdens. The degree to which you're able to put down your thinking, you're putting down your burdens. You know, your burdens, again, they're not the job or the BMW or, you know, your membership in the raccoon lodge. It's your thinking and your clinging, which is, gives rise to the thinking. So in the sitting, we may put down our burdens for a half an hour or 45 minutes, and we start to know what it's like when we put down our burdens. There's that quality of ease. You know, that quality of ease comes because you've put down your burdens. Because you've put down your burdens. It's not because of your, you know, meditation technique. I mean, the meditation technique has taught you, you know, but it's like you've put down your burdens. You know, that's ardency, right? I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna engage in those, this thinking. I'm putting down these burdens out of compassion for myself. That's your intention. This half hour, I'm going to put down my burdens out of love for myself, out of compassion. I'm going to stay with it out of compassion for myself. And we start to know what it's like when we put down our burdens. You know, there's ease. You know, the ease doesn't come, again, because you're evaluating the breath. The ease comes because you've put down your burdens. And we start to know a lightness and a freedom. But what about after the sitting? The sitting is an exception, right? Unless you're a monk, you know, you know, or you're living at a retreat center, it's an exception. It's a little part of your day. But what about after the sitting? Well, we can stay with the breath and the body, but that's 
only going to get us so far in this life. You know, I'm going to really learn meditation, you know, and I mean, that's what we call stress reduction. You know? Not sure how well that works. It works a little bit, I guess. Uh, uh, but the practice is about freedom. Dharma practice is about freedom. So can we begin to move towards laying down our burdens, our preoccupations with certain sense, pleasures, pleasures of the world, views and opinions, social conventions, self-image? Can we begin to move toward freedom? Toward freedom. So of course this happens little by slowly, little by slowly. It's a gradual awakening, but it all begins with intention. It all begins with intention and a vision for our practice and our lives that I'm going to lay down my burdens. We don't really want to lay, you know, we don't want to lay down our burdens though, right? You know, we don't really want to lay down our burdens and that's where, where the problem is. That's the rub, right? We want it both ways. We want to be free from our suffering, but we don't want to lay down our burdens. You know, we want to be bank robbers but we don't want the anxiety that goes along with it. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. So on the retreat, you know, we begin to lay down our burdens, you know, our clinging, our thinking. We start to come back to ourselves. And we start to come back to ourselves. I mean, it helps to go off into the country, you know, and in the silence, you know. And we lay down our burdens and we start to come back to ourselves. You know, you go far enough away. It's like, I can't even remember what my burdens are after a couple of days. <sighs> so beautiful, right? Such freedom, you know? So in the retreat, we start to come back to ourselves. We start to come back to what we are, which is this body and this heart. That's sort of my mantra on the last couple of retreats we had. This body, this heart, this body, this, this is all we are, is a room filled with bodies and hearts bodies and hearts, just like in this space right now, 29 bodies, 29 hearts. That's who we truly are. So in the retreat, we come back to who we truly are, to what we truly are, which is free. What we truly are is free. So we begin to find our rhythm, right? We're not trudging so much, you know. Last week I talked about this, you know. Uh, you know, we start to experience a lightness in our step. We're not trudging, you know. You know, our burdens weigh us down and we trudge through life, weighed down. We trudge, trudge, trudge. So in the practice, like on a retreat or in our sitting, we begin to find a lightness in our step. Metaphorically, but we also may sometimes notice that physically. You know, it's like, I, I, I noticed this in my experience on the retreat that we just had, you know, and of course it's a little bit different for me because I'm teaching it, so I'm quote unquote working, uh, but, but I'm still meditating and I'm away from, from my reality construct and, you know, I'm meditating a lot with the group and, uh, and I'm practicing the Dharma and uh, uh, you know, I noticed when it was very much towards the end of the retreat, it might have been the second to the last day of the retreat, and I, I was ringing the bell and I was walking 
along the path from one, one of the buildings to the next and uh, you know, I was ringing the bell for the next sitting and, uh, and there was just a lightness in my step. It was just a few steps and there was a lightness in my step. It was almost like I just kind of lifted up off the pavement and there was just this lightness there, this freedom. It was like a few moments when I was just free from my burdens. Just a few moments when I was free from my burdens, and I was like, ah, oh, that's what it is. You know, it's all I needed. It's all I needed to remember, to remember who I was and where I was going and the possibility of freedom. Oh, this is what freedom is. There is this freedom in this life. So, you know, there were just a few steps when I felt that. You know, and, and I talked about this on the retreat, you know, in one of the closing talks, you know, uh, you know. We start to connect to this lightness, this freedom. It's there, you know, it's there. We're just so weighed down. You know, maybe it's just one step, right? As we lay down our burdens, as we come to ourselves, it's just one step. You know, notice that one step, you know, that one step. It always starts with a single step. It always starts with a single step. We take one step and we go forward from there.